0: There's an old story of a father and son who are sitting together on their back porch on a beautiful sunny day, and the son looks to his father and he says, Dad, why are we here? And the father gets this faraway look in his eyes, he kind of stares off into the middle distance, and he says, Son, I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question because I've been thinking it myself, and I, I really think I have some answers, not all the answers, but some. I, I think we're here because, you know, God who loves us is good and designed us to be good, and I think we're here to, to serve others and love our neighbor as ourself, and I think we're here to be on this adventure together and with God and to try to better our world. And I, I think there's so much unique purpose you have, but um, part of the mystery and the journey of God is to figure out that purpose and Boy, I just, I can't wait for you to get there because I think the journey is part of the joy. Uh, And then he turned to his son. He said, son, does that kind of help you answer that question? And the son said, no, not at all. And he said, oh, I I was kind of proud of that answer. What, What do you mean not at all? And the son said, dad, I mean, why are we here? Mom said to pick her up 40 minutes ago. That was my best joke. Stay with me. Uh, It's been said often that the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you figure out why. Uh, And and I believe for us as believers there's some truth to that. Uh, The day that we are born into the kingdom of God and the day we figure out why. Why God has called us into His kingdom. And I think this is a day like that for Saul. Uh, I think Saul's Life to this point has been leading up to this moment. And finally, for the first time, he gets a sense of why God has called him, why God has sent His Spirit upon him, why God has made him to be king. Uh, And and this why is actually pretty straightforward. Um, we, We get it five times in this passage. His why is to bring deliverance to God's people. Do you notice as we were reading, as Emily was reading this passage, uh, I hope you heard at least three times the word deliverance or deliverer. And then we also heard some language about um, who will save us and if no one will save us. And in Hebrew, the word deliverance and the word savior they're the same word, right? The same word, it's uh, Yeshua. Um, By the way, what's the name of Jesus in Hebrew? It's Yeshua, right? Savior, deliverer. Uh, and so, five times in this passage, we're asked, um, why won't God grant Israel a deliverer? Um, will someone come to save us? Uh, today, while the sun is hot, tomorrow, while the sun is hot, you shall have deliverance, right? uh, And again and again, the Lord has brought deliverance to Israel. This idea that, that Saul's purpose is to help God bring deliverance to God's people, Uh, And and I believe that today there are uh, enormous numbers of people um, who need deliverance, right? People that are literally enslaved, people that are are strapped by financial shackles they can't seem to overcome, people who are chemically dependent or relationally isolated or physically ill or spiritually dead. Uh, There are people... Um, who you find at work or at home or at church or at school or in the grocery store or at the pool or at the movies. And like the people of Jabesh Gilead, they are besieged by suffering and sorrow, by guilt and shame, by fear and loss, by evil. And the question they're asking is, will anyone save us? Will there be a deliverer? And God's answer, I think, is really clear. I think His answer is yes. I'm sending Abram. I'm sending Ruth. I'm sending Dan. I'm sending Dawn. I'm sending you guys. You guys are the deliverers I'm going to send to bring deliverance to my people and to the world. Uh, I'm thinking about what your why is, and the problem is uh, I think we already know our why. I think we're not sure how it works out, and figuring out how it works out is really important, but I think your why is to be about the work of Jesus Christ. That's why God saved you. That's why Christ died for you, that you would be a deliverer like Jesus. So, wait a minute, Jim. Uh, that's cool. That's a neat idea. But number one, I don't feel like Jesus. Number two, I don't really even feel like Saul. I mean, I'm, I'm not king of Israel material. Uh, and, and I look at my life and I just say, whoa, I am really far from being uh, anything like what you're describing. So, I want you to notice that Saul is too. Notice where this story starts. Uh, Saul is not sitting on a throne in a palace somewhere. See where he was? He was coming in behind the oxen from the field. He was doing normal stuff. He's not the kind of king that has a palace just yet. Uh, And maybe this is the best point of his kingship, right? He's the kind of king who's coming in behind the oxen from the fields when God calls him. Uh, And what makes him able to do the work isn't his wealth or his army or his power or his skill with the sword, it's that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him with power. Uh, And uh, we we have this many times in Scripture uh, that that in this moment, um, somehow our why, our purpose in life is is tied up in bringing deliverance in the power of Christ. And, And I think the biggest challenge for us is that very often we think we're to bring deliverance in our own power, Uh, Maybe you remember the story of Moses in the book of Exodus. Moses, you know, is uh, a Jewish person who's raised up in Pharaoh's court, but knows his history, knows his people are enslaved, wants to help get them free. So one day he's in uh, the field somewhere and he sees an Israelite and an Egyptian, and the Egyptian is oppressing the Israelite, and he kills him. And he hides his body and he thinks, I have begun the deliverance of God's people doesn't go well for Moses, right? He flees as a murderer. He spends 40 years in the desert trying to figure out who he is before God's power comes on him. And I think this is so critical for us that if we want to be about the work that Jesus has called us to do, if we're going to figure out why we are here, uh, we got to recognize that our work, our um, cooperating with God is only going to happen in the power of Christ. There was a itinerant pastor um, in the um, 17th century who came, I'm sorry, the 1800s, yeah, whatever, Uh, who came to the United States um, because he really felt called to be a missionary to the Native Americans. He went to Georgia, uh, and there he was a complete disaster, I mean, just awful, right? I mean, I think he had like in his entire tenure like maybe two conversations with any Native Americans. He had zero conversions. He was such a difficult person to deal with that finally the church he was serving asked him to leave and not just like leave our church. They said, can you please like go across the ocean again? Uh, and so he gets in a boat and he sails back home to England. And, and when he gets back, I mean, you can imagine the shame uh, of this guy and his life and what a failure he's been and what he thought he was supposed to do. And then he says one day he's sitting in church and he hears a sermon about grace and he realizes for the first time in his life that he's always been trying to earn God's love, always been trying to be good enough to prove that he deserved to be part of the family of God. And for the first time, he realized that comes as a gift, not something he can earn. And he says he feels his heart strangely warmed. Uh, the guy's name is John Wesley. He goes on to start the Methodist tradition, Um, millions and millions of people come to Christ because of him and because of his ministry, uh, because finally he realizes he has to do it in the power of Christ and not in his own strength. So uh, here's what I want to ask you to begin with as you think about your why and how you're called to be uh, in the work of deliverance with Jesus. Um, Are you working in the power of Christ? Are you asking for Jesus to come help you and show you where to go and what to do? And if you're not sure, here's a really simple step. I want you to go home today and say, Jesus, here I am, send me. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know who you want me to go to, but here I am, send me. I want to go in your power. I want to go through the power of the Spirit and not the strength of my will or intellect or ability. I want to go because you send me. Okay, so uh, if we're going to be deliverers, we've got to go in the power of Christ. We also have to go to the people of Christ. And I think this is really key. I-, I think very often we are not sent to be deliverers to the people we want to be deliverers for. When I was in high school, um, I- I've never been in a fight in my life, okay? When I was in high school, I, I came really close. So my junior year of high school, I was sitting in my homeroom and I'm on one side of the room, and my girlfriend of like a year and a half is on another, and we're sitting with our friends and talking. And one of my buddies elbows me and says, hey, Jim, look up. And I look up, and there's this guy I don't know who's just in our class, but I've never really talked to him or met him, and he's sitting next to my girlfriend, and like, like right next to my girlfriend, and he's kind of whispering at her. I'm like, that's weird. So I, I watch for a minute, and um, pretty quickly I see her kind of turn away. Right? He's still there whispering, but she's kind of giving her the, you know, this is before they had talk to the hands. It was like talk to the back. So, you know, my little boyfriend juices get going. And so I get up and I just sit on the other side of my girlfriend and I say, hey, how's it going? She's like, it's fine. And I I, like out of a movie, is this guy bothering you? I'm pretty sure it was my line. Um, Well, that guy jumped up. He was a big fella, right? Like significantly larger than I. Uh, and and this was um, kind of a uh, almost a cartoonish moment, right? Where I was like, "I am here to defend your honor," uh, and and he is up there yelling and it, it, exacerbated by the fact that at the time my girlfriend was African American and he was African American and he was upset that a white girl was dating a black girl and he made that pretty clear as he was yelling at me, and I was thinking. Man, I have everything on my side, right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock this guy's socks off. It's going to be great, right? The best moment of my life. I get to deliver my girlfriend. Uh, now, I didn't get up and knock his socks off, or, or probably the reverse would have been true, but let's, let me dream. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, my girlfriend is grabbing my arm, kind of holding me down, and she was pretty strong. Uh, and for another, uh, my teacher, um, Mrs. Rusegger, who is all of 5'1", Um, But my favorite teacher, my APUS history teacher comes over and she says, Jim Gates, if you stand up from your desk, I'm going to beat you up. You better sit right there. Um, So I just sat there, security came, he got taken away, the whole thing took 30 seconds. Um, But I I think about that and I think, boy, that was a moment, like if I could script a moment, right, where I was the good guy and he was the bad guy and I was going to defend my girl, it was great. I don't think we have very many moments like that. Right in, in, in our lives as following Jesus, I don't think deliverance is often that easy. It wasn't in this story. Uh, let me tell you about Jabesh Gilead. Okay, so, so Saul hears that Jabesh Gilead is besieged by the Ammonites. Um, Jabesh Gilead is not a place that anybody wants to go save. There's all these beautiful echoes to other parts of the Old Testament in this story. I wish we could talk about every one of them, Um, but here's a really critical one. In the Old Testament, there's a moment where something really horrible happens and um, kind of gross, but a, a woman is murdered, and her husband actually takes her body exactly like Saul takes the oxen, and he cuts it up, and he mails it out to Israel, and he says, this horrible thing happened, you need to take up arms and bring justice, just like Saul does with the oxen. And everybody gathered just like they do with Saul, and they go out to bring justice to this evil thing that happened. You know the only city in all of Israel that sends no soldiers in that moment back in the book of Judges? You can probably guess, but you can't pronounce it, right? it's Jabesh Gilead. It's the same people that are begging for help now. And, and Saul and Israel have to be thinking, we're not coming to help you, you are literally the only people in the whole country that we don't want to come help, right? Because you didn't come to help us. But Saul doesn't say that because Saul, for this moment, right, is living into the purpose of his life, and Saul recognizes that the people of God, the people of Christ, are not usually perfect people, uh, that very often we're called to be rescuers for those that we might not pick to rescue, Uh, And so, Saul brings the army to save Jabesh Gilead. Uh, I think this is critical for you and your deliverance. It's going to be to the people of Christ and the power of Christ. And Christ's people, look around you, we're not perfect. Uh, And so, Christ is going to call you to bring deliverance with Him to um, imperfect people, to the kid in your school that seems to have everything, to the homeless person on the street that smells a little strange, to the students in your classroom and the patients in your clinic and the people who live in the homes you build and the families whose pictures you take and the folks you serve at table at your restaurant. And it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be the way you imagined it being. But they are still the people of Christ, and He's sending you to them. Um, by the way, uh, just as a fun fact, at the end of Saul's life, he and his son Jonathan are murdered, uh, not murdered, they're killed in battle, uh, and then their bodies are displayed in effigy. And um, all the nation of Israel is running in terror and fear, except for one city. You want to guess what city finds his bodies and buries them in honor, at risk of their own lives? Yeah, it's Jabesh Gilead, right? Uh, those people that were not Christ's people can become Christ's people when we go to them with the love and the grace and the story of Jesus. So, uh, if you're going to be figuring out the why of your life, I think it's about this deliverance of God, and it's about delivering in the power of Christ and to the people of Christ, and it's in the pattern of Christ Uh, And and maybe you're like me, you're saying, Jim, I got a whole list of things that would disqualify me from working with Jesus in this work of of helping other people be delivered. I mean, I got a long line of stuff that says I'm not going to be good enough. And I would suggest to you, that's exactly what God is looking for in someone to partner with. God's always looking for people who are imperfect, and it's their imperfection, their need for deliverance that equips them to help deliver others. And if you want an example of that, look at this story in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, right? Here's this guy who was born blind. Everybody's saying, why? What's the why of his life, right? Why is his life like this? I mean, this is the defining characteristic of who he is. It has shaped everything about him. Uh, He is a beggar. He is poor because he can't work. Um, People think he's a sinner because he has this physical deformity they assume has a spiritual cause. And and Jesus says, hey, you know what? All you guys don't understand his why. Let me tell you, all of this happened in his life so that he and the whole world could come to understand who I am and how I am going to deliver you. The reason he was born um, blind is so that this day he might be able to see and then go tell the world what I have done. And that for thousands of years, it's been 2,000 already, people are going to tell his story. And they're not going to remember that somebody once thought he was bad because he was blind. They're going to remember that God made him see. And and that's our work, right? Our work is to take our own brokenness, our own need for deliverance, our own need for Jesus, and in the pattern of Jesus, say, hey, let me let me somehow use this to bring others in, right? We're going to use our brokenness to help others become whole, not because we've got it together, but because Christ brings us together. And so I heard an incredible story. Um, just, I think last week, this is an old thing, it's from 2014, um, but it's an episode of 60 Minutes that talks about a city in Paraguay that's built on a trash dump and some of what came out of that city. And I just want to play a little video for you.
1: Garbage is the only crop in Catayota, and the harvest lasts 12 months a year. It is Katura's curse, its livelihood, and the only reason people live here. It provides hundreds of jobs to peasant farmers who were kicked off their plots by large landowners. They are the trash pickers.
0: <laughs>
1: it is their profession. They sift through the stench 24 hours a day, scrounging for anything they can sell. for a pound of plastic, $0.05 for a pound of cardboard. You'll be amazed at what else people are doing here with this trash. Just look and listen. This is the recycled orchestra of Katyura. The violins are fashioned from oven trays cellos from oil barrels even the strings are recycled the saxophones and trumpets are made from old drain pipes the keys were once coins and bottle caps the skin used to be an x-ray plate the guitar from dessert tins the idea came from environmental technician fabio chavez when he came to Katyura and saw the kids working and playing on this miserable hill, he came up with the idea of starting a music school to lift the kids' lives out of the trash. From the start, Fabio realized that even if he could raise the money, new instruments were out of the question. A factory made violin would cost more than a house here and would almost certainly get stolen. But these fiddles aren't worth a dime. They are the handiwork of trash worker and carpenter, Don Cola Gomez. Three days a week, he goes to the dump to find the raw materials. Then in his tiny workshop at the edge of the dump, he goes to work. Fabio first asked him to make a violin, but this Stradivarius of South America had never seen one or heard one. 2,500 families live here now. There's hardly any electricity or plumbing. The drinking water is contaminated. Many of the children move from broken homes to crime and drugs. But Ada and her younger sister, Noelia, who plays the cello, say that music has become their salvation, the centerpiece of their lives. I
0: came across that story. There's a documentary called Landfill Harmonic, if you want to learn more about them. Um, And it just struck me that that's exactly what Christ does. Christ takes trash and makes music out of it. Christ takes broken people and uses them to make other people whole. Christ takes our sin and uses it as a way to bring others into His life and love and grace. He takes our blindness and uses it to give others sight. Uh, And and i got to say, one of the things that makes Jesus different than Saul, right? Saul's on a timetable here. I mean, Saul's got to get to Jabesh Gilead in time or uh, they're going to lose uh, half of their vision, but Jesus doesn't have to worry about getting there on time, right? It's never too late for Christ to restore our sight, never too late for Christ to take our trash and make music out of it, Uh, and so I believe it's critical for us that if we're going to be about the work of God to figure out why we're here, that we have to be in the Power of Christ, and to the people of Christ, and in the pattern of Christ, working with God to bring deliverance to the world. Um, and, and, and this is, boy, I wish, if we had a little more time, I like to talk about forgiveness. I don't. Let's just say this. Forgiveness is really important in this story. We'll come back to another time, okay? Um, but, but here's what I want to say. It's critical. The Holy Spirit that comes upon Saul and equips him for this work is the same Holy Spirit that comes upon every one of us when we profess our faith in Jesus Christ and ask him to be our Lord and Savior. The spirit that equips him to be a deliverer for Israel is the same spirit that equips us to be deliverers with Jesus Christ. And and so this is the key. Christ didn't just come to deliver us. Christ came to raise up an army of deliverers who would work with him to bring his love and his grace and his hope and his promise to our world. And when you're trying to figure out your why, that's it, Your why is that you have to help Christ bring deliverance to our world. I don't know how you're going to do that, right? I don't know the how yet, but please, please hear the why. There are hungry people in our world that need a deliverer today. There are lonely people and unpopular people and depressed people. There are some people that are just plain difficult, right? There are some people that want to hang on to their brokenness more than they want to be whole. There are some people who think they've got it together and you're the one that's messed up, right? Some people that don't believe in God or believe in Him but don't believe He loves them or believe in God but think He's wholly different than the person we know in Jesus Christ. Your job is to work with Jesus to help bring them deliverance. Not on your own. But in the power of Christ, not to who you'd like to go, but to the people of Christ, not the way you want to do it, but in the pattern of Christ. And I got to ask you if one king, one guy filled with the Holy Spirit can deliver all of Israel, can save a whole community, what could a community of people filled with the Holy Spirit deliver in the name of Jesus? I don't know, but I'd love to find out with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.